Welcome to the Strong Mamas Podcast, where we're talking about our fitness and food choices as moms in real life and in light of our faith as Christ followers. I'm your host, Megan Dahlman, and together we'll be exploring what it means to be a healthy, strong mama in the middle of a culture that's obsessed with vanity. This podcast is all about helping and equipping you to take better care of yourself and the ones you love. All right, welcome back, guys. We're back for another episode of the Strong Mamas podcast. I'm here once again with my co-host, Scott, and we're going to dive into some pretty fun stuff today. Last week, hopefully you caught it, we talked about Mythbusters, kind of the fitness edition. We went into a lot of common myths when it comes to exercise and fitness. So if you did not catch that episode, make sure you go back and listen to that one. Once again, if you haven't yet, please make sure to take the time to subscribe to the show, leave a quick rating, and even a quick review. I've been completely enjoying listening to your or reading your guys' reviews. It's been a lot of fun seeing how already this show has been impacting your life. So let's go ahead and dive into today's topic. We are sticking with this Mythbusters theme, this time Nutrition Edition. And there's something different about nutrition. Nutrition, we get fired up about this. I think we develop opinions about nutrition based on things that we've seen or what we felt has worked well for us. And for some reason, what we believe about nutrition becomes really deeply ingrained in us. And if somebody tells us that we're wrong, we get very easily offended. So with fitness, we can be told that we're doing something wrong and we just say, oh, okay, I didn't know that. But for some reason with nutrition, you can be told that you're believing something that's wrong and your initial reaction is to say, no, you're wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I think part of it is that we have a special connection with what we eat. Yeah. Fitness is something that I do, but food is one of the only things that you put in your body every single day. And so it becomes a very, very personal thing and a very personal decision about what you are putting in your body. And I think that's why some people have a tendency, well, most of us have a tendency to kind of grab onto ideas and hold onto them very tightly because this is something that I am putting in my body. And so how I think about it is very important. Yeah. I think especially as moms, we all feel like we're, we're, trying to do our very best to feed our kids healthy food and we don't want to be told that we're doing that we might be doing it wrong or believing something wrong and so we we can get really defensive and really easily offended about that and i mean what was the saying when we were kids you are what you eat yeah and so we we think that we've been doing it really really well and we could have been you know maybe we are doing it right and all of these myths that we're going to talk about today you haven't fallen to them, but some of these could be striking your funny bone. <laughs> and I also think it's important to remember that with nutrition, the other issue is that things are changing. Right. There's a lot of research going on all the time, and we see this all the time. You know the old joke, you're supposed to eat butter. No, you're supposed to eat margarine. Oh, no, that's the bad one for you now. Back to butter. Yeah. And so I think because of that, that is why people have a lot of different ideas out there as well, because 
we're looking at the latest research, what we know now, and that might be different than what we knew even 10 years ago. Exactly. So that's what we are going to try to do today is present you with what we know right now. It's not to say that this won't change in another year or 10 years, but I want you to have the best facts available to you to try to break through the myths that you might be believing unknowingly about the food that you're eating. Okay. And the last thing I want to say is we're going to be throwing out a lot of different information today and everything we say is backed up by studies that are out there. And so if you have any questions about anything we said, please reach out, leave a comment, comment on Facebook, let us know, and we'll be happy to follow up with that information for you guys. And I will also make sure to put links to the studies, the, the big ones, and some more information in the show notes so that you can reference those as well. Okay, let's go ahead and dive right into the very first myth. What's our first myth, Scott? If you really want to dial in your nutrition, you need to start counting calories. Yeah, this myth has been kind of around for a long time, and We've all heard the saying, calories in, calories out, right? And to a certain extent, I will say that that is actually true. If your goal is to lose weight, you do need to be in a negative energy balance or basically using more energy than you're consuming. And on the flip side, if your goal is to put on weight, you need to be in a positive energy balance or consuming more energy than you're using. This is how energy balance in the body works. But you need to understand that it's not as simple as calories in, calories out. You can't just eat a 250 calorie sandwich and then crank out a bunch of steps on the stair stepper until the display reads 250 calories burned and assume that you're back to zero. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't really work like that, okay? It's helpful to understand that there are a lot of factors that affect our body's overall calorie burn. The first thing that really affects how our body is burning calories is the with exercise is the style of training that we're doing. And we talked about this a little bit last week on the Fitness Mythbusters episode that different types of training are more efficient for burning calories and boosting your metabolism than other types of training. So weightlifting versus low intensity cardio training those are going to have a very different long-term effect on your overall calorie output over the course of the day. The next thing is what we call NEAT. Have you ever heard of NEAT, Scott? I have not heard of NEAT. This is pretty awesome. It's called Non-Exercise Activity Thermogenesis, so N-E-A-T. And this is basically the amount of movement that you do over the course of the day that's not necessarily planned exercise. So someone who moves frequently, they're a fidgeter, they take the stairs, they park the furthest away at a parking lot, they're just constantly on their feet moving. That person is going to expend more energy over the course of the day than someone who did maybe the exact same workout, but they spent the entire remainder of the day just sitting on a couch. Desk jobs are killers. Desk jobs are total killers because of this NEAT, this non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And you can actually burn significantly more calories over the course of the day by just being a more busy, active person. So that's affecting our body's overall calorie output. 
The next thing is your body's resting metabolism, or essentially the amount of energy your body uses to just stay alive, to keep your organs working, to keep breathing, to keep your muscles working. And this resting metabolism is going to be higher for someone who has more muscle on their body versus someone that has less muscle on your body. It requires more energy, more calories to keep those tissues alive and healthy and working. The final thing that affects our body's calorie burn is what we call a thermic effect of feeding. And this is how much work it takes for your body to break down food. Like a meal that's really high in fiber, high in protein, things that are really difficult to digest, that meal is actually going to require more calories to actually work it and break it down than a smoothie that you don't really have to digest at all. So all of these factors go into how much our body outputs. So if we're trying to dial in our calorie intake based on our calorie output, it's extremely difficult to nail down our calorie output and to nail it on the head because there are just too many variables. So we could say, yeah, we did a 250 calorie workout, but what about all these other things that could completely affect how much we're actually burning over the course of the day? And then, on the flip side, <laughs> is that there are so many things that affect the amount of calories that go into food. We think, oh, a banana, that's gonna be 70 calories. Yeah, but was it a large banana, a small banana, was it a medium banana? That makes a big difference. So the actual portion size of the food could be off by a little bit and that makes a big difference. Also, the way food was cooked whether some of the nutrients leached out in the cooking process or if it was raw or maybe when you cooked it, it made some of those nutrients more bioavailable to use for your body. Plus there's what it was cooked in. Exactly. Those types of things that are hard to calculate. If I put a teaspoon of olive oil in my pan, right. I'm not getting all of that on my food. So how do I calculate that? Yeah. And are you? did you measure the teaspoon? Like, are you sure it was just a teaspoon? The other thing that affects it is just variety from one product to another. Not everything is perfectly identical. And then things that also affect the amount of energy that goes into your body is when that food was grown, if it's produce, the actual soil and growing conditions of when that food was grown. And even when it was picked during harvest, it's going to either have more glucose in it, less glucose, be larger, be more nutrient dense based on the time of year that it was harvested. Another thing that affects it is how long that food item was sitting in storage. Was it in storage all through winter and some of those nutrients have naturally broken down in that product? So you have to understand that there are so many things that affect the final number of calories that go into your body. And that margin of error can be as much as plus or minus 25%. So unless you're going to live in a lab for a full month where your actual metabolic output is constantly being measured and every single gram of food you ingest has been individually calculated for that specific food item, you're probably wasting your time and energy counting calories. But a lot of people do this and they find that it works. So why does it work sometimes? Well, honestly, because counting calories is kind of a fancy or elaborate way of making us more aware and mindful of the food that we put in our mouths. 
It's just bringing some more mindfulness to what we're choosing to eat. We start to think twice about something that's really calorie dense, like a Frappuccino at Starbucks. We can see the number up there and we're like, oh, I don't really want to drink a 600 calorie drink. And then we choose something instead that's less calorie dense and probably a little healthier, like green tea at Starbucks. So it just makes us a little more aware of what we're putting in our bodies and maybe choose the things that are less calorie dense. And those are usually going to be things that are fruits and vegetables and lean protein and good whole grains versus the really high sugar, high fat foods. But there are far easier and less obsessive ways to produce the same outcome. You can just say, I'm going to not eat those high sugar, high fat foods and eat more lean protein and produce. And I think the other thing with calories is it kind of lets us off if we want to be off sometimes. And Mm -hmm. what I mean is I can go have a 100 calorie pack of Oreos and that's fine. I'm not eating a whole box of Oreos. Right. But at the same time, it's 100 calories of Oreos. But I've convinced myself it's healthy when I could easily replace it with something healthier, even if it's a little bit more calories. And a lot of times, the foods that are the quote-unquote light foods are the most highly processed foods because they put a bunch of different things in there because they need to make it taste good without using things that add calories. Oh my goodness, I know. And so at the end of the day, we don't develop any actual healthy habits. We're just so fixated on the the calorie count. And in the long run, it just doesn't serve us very well. So that's myth number one, that in order to be healthy, you should be dialing in and counting your calories. And we know now that it's, first of all, really inaccurate. And secondly, too tedious and not worth your time. Okay, what's myth number two? On to myth number two, and I think we're going to start to get a little more controversial as we go along Yeah, here, here we go. Buckle up, so, guys. So myth number two, detoxing and cleansing are effective methods of getting healthier. Whew, here we go. You ready? <laughs> Have you done a detox or juice cleanse? I don't know. I'm sure that there are some people that are listening to this that probably have and are probably going to say, hey, but no, it worked for me. Okay, so just listen. Don't shut it off yet, just listen. So detoxing and doing juice cleanses have been a pretty popular trend in the last five to to eight years, I'd say, and I think Hollywood has done a really good job of popularizing this one. Detox diets and juice cleanses are actually two different things. With a detox diet, usually you spend a couple days, a couple weeks, or even months, perhaps eliminating certain foods and beverages from your diet. You eat only so-called clean foods and completely restrict any foods that could potentially be toxic. To give you an example, I'd say that the Whole30 diet would be considered a form of a detox diet. Now, juice cleanses are very different. Juice cleanses are more concentrated and intensive. Usually you'll spend one, two, or three days drinking only specially formulated fruit and vegetable juices. The specific ingredients are said to detoxify or cleanse the cells of your body. And coming out the other side of a juice cleanse, you're supposed to feel cleaner, even leaner, and a lot healthier. So basically the idea between both a detox diet and a juice cleanse, which is kind of a really extreme version, is 
The idea that our bodies can begin to accumulate toxins that are dangerous to our health and make us feel downright crappy. What's usually mentioned as being the toxins are things like excessive sugars, artificial sweeteners, preservatives, even like caffeine and alcohol, maybe even certain fats. And then of course, things like nicotine and sometimes even environmental pollutants. So these are the things that they're saying are toxins that build up in your body. And if you go through a juice cleanse or a detox diet, it gets rid of this. And that's the point. With a detox diet or a cleanse, the point is to rid our bodies of all these toxins so we're healthy and clean again, we're all cleaned out and good to go. It's like taking an antibacterial wipe to all of our cells. But I think we have to recognize that our bodies aren't just bare pipes that easily get gunked up with speckle. They don't really work that way, okay? We're far more intricate and better designed than that. And in fact, God designed our bodies to have numerous detoxifying mechanisms in place already. Your body does this all day long, whether you're realizing it's happening or not. And for the most part, our body does a really good job of cleansing itself. And the different systems that do this, we've got the digestive tract. It filters out and kind of kind of pulls apart the things that we eat that enter our digestive tract and enter our gut and gets rid of the bad stuff. We expel it and it hangs on to the good stuff. Our kidneys do this also, and even our skin acts like a barrier, um, filtering out harmful pollutants. And then actually, even when we sweat, harmful things that are in our body can come out through our sweat too. Lungs and our respiratory system does this also. We breathe in, we breathe out. Even when we when we exhale, we know that we're exhaling a lot of dangerous gases that, you know, CO2. We can't sit there and inhale CO2 all the time. Our body will actually exhale that. It knows that it's unhealthy for our body. And your liver is one giant filter. That's one of its main jobs is to filter everything that comes into our body. And then we even have the lymphatic system, which is a very intricate and very complicated system. It's a set of filters. So all of these systems, they're filtering mechanisms and they can metabolize and then expel anything in our body that might be considered a potentially harmful level for the body. And our bodies do this all day long. It's what it was designed to do. And in a healthy environment that I'm sure you and I live in, for the most part, it does this really well. Okay, but there are certain situations and environments where we can place too much of a burden on our body's own filtering systems. And this is with extreme overconsumption. I want to put an, a heavy emphasis on extreme overconsumption. And I'm sure some of this, some of us have done this at some point in our life. Basically, overconsuming alcohol or sugar, maybe even fat, overconsuming even nicotine, and even constant dosing of medicine and certain supplements, all of these things can tax our body's cleansing systems and they can have a really difficult time keeping up. It's almost like too much of a burden for all of our body's filters. And when this happens long enough, maybe an extended period of time, usually these extra unfiltered toxins are stored in our body's fat cells. They kind of have to put them somewhere 
to try to keep our body healthy, so they'll store it in fat cells. Now, if you are someone who's pretty lean, you your body will expel it pretty readily because it doesn't have anywhere to store it. There's not a lot of places for it to store it, which is another great reason to maintain low body fat levels. So the solution to extreme overconsumption like this and overburdening our body's natural detoxifying mechanisms should not be to do periodic juice cleanse and detox diets. That's so extreme, okay? The solution should be to stop living like that to begin with, okay? When someone lives a healthy lifestyle with plenty of exercise and a constant stream of healthy foods and makes sure to only consume unhealthy foods in balance and moderation, there's usually really nothing extra to detoxify. Our filtering mechanisms are doing their job really well, and we we have nothing to worry about. And I think what kind of cracks what kind of cracks me up about the whole detoxing trend is that it's usually hyper healthy people <laughs> that are proponents of it. So I'm sure if we were to place their cells under a microscope, there would be absolutely nothing to be concerned about. It's just a lot of money going down the drain. Okay, so what's the harm then? I mean, if it's not really doing anything at all, then why worry about it? Well, unfortunately, there are some real downsides to detoxing and doing juice cleanses in particular, too. So for starters, a juice cleanse is actually just really, really expensive. If you're purchasing a product or a program, it can be as much as 90 to 100 bucks a day to do these juice cleanses. So if you are feeling like, oh, I've been over consuming and the juice cleanse is my solution, that's just, that is so much money. And that's a huge downside, okay? We can't ignore that. Another thing is that when you do juice cleanses in particular, it can actually remove a lot of the healthy things like fiber and protein that are necessary tools for our body's own detoxing system. So it's kind of counterproductive, actually. We get rid of all the things that our body's own filtering systems needed to work. Now it's like, hey, I needed that. <laughs> Another thing is when you ingest food in juice form, you can quickly overconsume certain nutrients. We kind of forget about that. More is not always better. With juicing, you can quickly squeeze down 15 pounds of veggies into a couple glasses of juice. That is a lot. And this is just simply too much for our bodies to try and handle all at once. Our digestive system was never intended to process hyper-concentrated forms of nutrients like this. And it can, it can wreak havoc on your system. And then there are certain ingredients that are used heavily in cleanses like celery and beets that actually have quite a bit of nitrates in them. And in with one stock of celery or a couple stocks of celery and one beet a day, it's not a big deal and you probably wouldn't notice it. But when they're hyper concentrated like that into a juice, you get a gigantic dose of these natural nitrates and you can have really big headaches and wonder why you're getting these headaches. Isn't this supposed to be making me feel better? Well, that's why. The other thing too is that both detox diets and juice cleanses perpetuates the all or nothing living and that diet mentality. You kind of get this attitude that I can binge eat crap while I'm on vacation because I know that I'll just do my juice cleanse for a couple days when I get back home. Or I'll just pop right back onto Whole30 for a month and I'll feel so much better. 
where it's like, let's stop doing this giant yo-yo of on off, going from one extreme to another and just find ourselves more in a middle ground of living a very balanced and moderate life and never have the need to detox anything or to cleanse anything. We just won't even need to go there. So I'd say that between the two styles of detoxing, I'd say that doing a detox diet is overall probably healthier for your body than doing a juice cleanse. It's just not as extreme. But you still have to ask yourself why you're doing it, okay? Are there in fact toxins in your body that need to be removed? Probably not. Or maybe you're just making that up and you have poor eating habits in general and that's why you feel kind of (laughs) crappy. So I think another thing that's helpful for us all to remember is that Anything can become toxic to your body. Too many beets can become toxic to your body. Too much celery can become toxic to your body. A lot of alcohol can lead to blood alcohol poisoning. A ton of cookies can lead to toxic levels of blood sugar. And even too much water can lead to hyponatremia, okay? So I think the takeaway here, and kind of to sum up, is that Detoxing is probably really unnecessary because our bodies have their own detoxing mechanisms in place already. It's probably just a waste of your time. And at the end of the day, it's most likely perpetuating that all or nothing mentality with our eating habits. Okay, and then this is going to bring us to the next myth, which is really going to hit a sensitive spot, I think, for a lot of people. But I think it could be really eye-opening too because I bet there's a lot of you that did not know this, okay? So our next myth is the idea that organic foods are healthier for you than conventional foods. And I'm actually going to let Scott take on this one because this is his area of expertise. He has a ton of background on this stuff, working in the agricultural industry and, and really knows a lot of the science behind this. So tell us a little bit more about organic versus conventional foods. So first, this is definitely a myth. Organic is no more nutritious than conventionally grown foods. And you don't have to believe me or take my word on that. There was a Stanford study, a Stanford meta study that a meta study looks at a bunch of other studies to draw a broad conclusion that said that there was no more nutritional value in organic foods than there was in conventionally grown products. There's way more variation between foods just based on, like you said earlier, where they're grown, some of the other agronomic methods that are used. I think the next thing people will look to and say, well, yeah, it's not more nutritious, but I eat organic for other reasons. And I know one of those primary reasons is because it doesn't contain Pesticides. That pesticides are not used on organic food, which could be a myth in itself. Yeah. Pesticides are used in organic foods. They are just pesticides that are approved for growing organic foods. Okay. These can be very similar chemical compounds to conventional pesticides. For example, pyrethroids are a very common type of insecticide used in conventional agriculture. But you can also have natural pyrethroids because they come from the chrysanthemum plant. So Mm. you can have the exact same chemical used on conventional and organic. Okay. And I think the important thing to note is the levels that we're seeing on either of these. You shouldn't be worried about the pesticide levels that are going to be on your organic or your conventional foods. 
consistently as they are being tested, they are well below any health thresholds. And one of my favorite stats actually comes from Dr. Bruce Ames. And you're not going to believe me when I tell you this, but it is true. You drank a <laughs> cup of coffee this morning, right? Uh, yeah, I think I'm on my third cup. <laughs> so in that first cup of coffee that you drank this morning, you were exposed to a higher dose of more known carcinogens than you will be in an entire year of eating conventional produce. Oh my gosh. That's kind of crazy to think that. And and we're all freaking out about one apple or a handful of blueberries that could be conventionally grown. We just have this image that they've been doused with pesticides and we're eating just straight up chemicals. Well, you are eating chemicals because everything <laughs> is a chemical. That's right. another another one of my uh, soapboxes there that I, I won't go into Water today. Water is a chemical. Water is a chemical. H2O. Yeah. Dihydrogen monoxide. It's a killer. So it really comes back to kind of the dose makes the poison. Same with the detoxing and the cleansing that we just talked about. When when you expose your body to really high levels of anything, it's not good for our body. And what you're saying is that with farming, both organic and conventional farming, the levels in both are just so, so low that our bodies, if there is anything, our bodies are capable of cleansing and basically detoxifying if there is anything that could be a potential pollutant. Exactly. Over 90% of the pesticides that you're exposed to are naturally within the plant. Oh, interesting. A lot of people don't think about this, but plants are really good at creating things to keep pests away. Okay. So for example, nicotine... Yeah. why people use it and it gives us a buzz is because it's actually a neurotoxin and it's created by tobacco to be a natural insecticide. And so mm. we've actually synthesized this and there's a whole class of insecticides that we use now. Based on nicotine? Based on nicotine. Huh. But the bottom line for everybody is buy what you want to buy. Yeah. It's great. We are so blessed in this country. We have a variety of options. You can go into the grocery store and pretty much get whatever you want. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is it's more important for you to be eating fruits and vegetables than it is to worry about whether it's organic or not. Because you can go get organic ice cream and organic potato chips, and it's still ice cream and potato <laughs> it's chips. Still ice cream and it's potato still chips. food that's not going to leave you feeling very good. So don't anybody take this as an attack on what you want to buy, but I also want to free you up a little bit to realize what that really means and that nutritionally and health-wise speaking, there's not a significant difference between conventional and organic. That's kind of a breath of relief. I think for a lot of moms that maybe feel strapped financially and feel like they're poisoning their children if they have to buy conventional foods for their kids or conventional produce. And maybe this is a really good, like just a breath of fresh air knowing that, no, this is still healthy and good. I do have one more question for you because we've heard about the Dirty Dozen. And the Dirty Dozen is like, I think it's produce, right? It is. Okay, it's a dozen fruits and vegetables that they, they say have higher levels of pesticides in them. And so if you're going to buy organic, make sure it's these dozen. What do you say about that? So the Dirty Dozen actually is a little bit different than that. It's not the highest pesticide residues, but it's the ones they think you're going to have the most exposure to. So for example, if you eat a banana, you're taking the peel off. And so most of the pesticides are going to be on the outside of it. So they wouldn't put the banana on the Dirty Dozen list. The one that usually tops it is strawberries. Strawberries sit on the ground. Uh, They are exposed to pesticides. But at the end of the day, what they don't tell you on that Dirty Dozen list is all of the testing shows, even on all of those products, we are consistently below 
any government standards where for the highest one, you would have to eat basically 100 apples a day to get anywhere near an exposure level that would be a health concern. And as we talked about earlier, if you're eating 100 apples a day, there's something else in there that's going to become more toxic to you Probably. before those pesticides Probably are. Probably the sugar. And so they make a big deal of this every year. But look a little closer at the numbers yeah. when people are looking at that because they are so low that it really should be one of our least concerns as we go throughout the day. Get fresh produce, wash it, mostly for the dirt and the bacteria and the other things that are on there, and feed it to your kid without guilt. I love it. That's great. Okay, so let's move on to the other myth. The next myth we have is that we need to be consuming supplements in order to be healthy. That if we're not supplementing with this, that, you know, vitamins, minerals, all this other stuff, that we, we aren't our healthiest self. Do you take any supplements, Scott? I don't take any, actually. <laughs> I will say that the only supplement I take right now is fish oil. That's the only thing I take at the moment. Okay, so this is an easy impression to get that we need to be taking supplements in order to be healthy when supplement companies are trying to convince you why their product will solve all of your problems. And you don't blame them. I mean, if you have a product to sell, you are going to make it sound like it's going to change your life. I get it. And we can certainly believe this too. When we previously had eating habits that left giant holes in our nutrient needs, maybe all we ate was potato chips all the time. Suddenly we take like a green supplement and we feel a million times better because now those nutrients that we were deficient on, those nutrients have been met and now we feel so much better. But maybe the supplement was not the thing that was the magic thing. <laughs> we didn't need to take the supplement. And I think that it's really enticing to people because it's now I don't have to eat a well-balanced diet. I can just fill it in by taking my four supplements in the morning oh, yeah. or drinking this one supplement shake a day. Now I don't have to worry about the rest of my eating. I can just eat what I want and get what I need with a shake or a pill. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't have to really pay attention very close. But let's just be clear, okay? For the majority of the population, you do not need to take any supplements to be healthy, okay? God designed our bodies to be able to get all of our nutrient needs from the food that we eat if we eat a well-balanced and varied diet. If all you're doing is eating apples all day long, <laughs> if all you're doing is doing apple and celery juice cleanses and you're eating 100 apples a day, we've got other issues. <laughs> and I think the key there also is variety. Mm -hmm. Not have, Fruits and vegetables are good, but you don't want to eat the exact same ones every single no. day either. No, I always recommend over the course of the day, say, hey, have I already eaten this thing today? And if the answer is yes, I've already had this once today, try to pick something else. That's going to expose your body to a wider variety of nutrients and make sure that you're getting the vitamins, the minerals, and the macronutrients that your body needs. So let's take a closer look at this. We've got things that are called non-essential nutrients and essential nutrients. So it is true that if you are deficient in one of these particular nutrients, whether that's a, a macronutrient like protein, carbohydrate, or fat, those are our macronutrients, or a micronutrient like certain minerals and vitamins, certain bodily functions will cease to operate the way that they were intended to. And these particular nutrients 
are called essential nutrients. Our bodies need them for normal physiological functioning. Now, there are also a bunch of non-essential nutrients. These are basically food-based nutrients that either our body can make itself, things like creatine and certain amino acids. You, you see those in your body. Your body can produce those and make them itself. Or these are nutrients that aren't necessarily needed for normal physiological functioning. And this is the category that most nutritional supplements fall into. And so this non-essential nutrient category, your body does not necessarily need these to function at its best. And in this category, we have nutrients like creatine, caffeine, glutamine, beta alanine, tyrosine, which are amino acids, and even things like green tea extract or the EGCG extract that they pull from green tea. So you don't need these things to operate, okay? Just walk down the supplement aisle and you suddenly have an impression that unless you take everything that's there, you're going to have high cholesterol, low metabolism, impending heart disease, low energy, and even joints that stick. You know, I, I know we wander through the Costco supplement aisles and it's like there's a million supplements for anything. And you start to get this impression that like, oh no, I should be taking all of these things because I I'm need gonna, 30 pills a day oh, just to survive. I know. Now, listen, some of these supplements do actually produce positive benefits, but we have to ask if they're entirely necessary for ourselves. If you're 35 years old, you probably don't need to be taking glucosamine and chondroitin. <laughs> or you probably don't need to be taking something that you're getting from the food that you eat already, okay? I always say that supplements should always be just that. They are a supplement to a good, complete, healthy diet, okay? They just fill the holes, they fill the gaps. So before you decide to supplement, take a look at your regular eating habits first. Do you have room for improvement? Are there gaps that you can fill already with the food that you're eating? Maybe you're not eating enough orange colored vegetables. Maybe you're not eating enough purple colored vegetables. Maybe you're not eating enough protein. So these are all things that we might turn to a supplement and say, oh, I need more vitamin K or I need more of the macronutrient protein and I'll just supplement with it. Maybe you can just get that from food. <laughs> so if you still feel like you could be falling short in a certain category and you know that you might be struggling to fill those gaps, you can consider using a supplement to fill in the gaps. And like I said, there is one supplement that I take and that's a fish oil capsule. And for you, it could be another omega-3 supplement, but omega-3 is a fatty acid that in the typical North American diet, we don't consume very much. But if you are someone that eats fish multiple times a week, or you eat seaweed or algae on a regular basis, Scott, you eat algae all the time. Algae. <laughs> I'm kidding. Who eats algae on a regular basis? What am I, a whale or a fish? <laughs> Plankton. Plankton. <laughs> Unless you eat those things, you're probably a little bit deficient in your omega-3 fatty acids. So it's probably a good idea to just supplement with a little bit of omega-3s and maybe a multivitamin or a multimineral and even perhaps a probiotic if you're someone that rarely eats fermented foods. 
or foods with live active cultures. If you eat yogurt on a regular basis, you're going to be fine. Okay. So don't feel like you need a ton of supplements in your diet in order to live your best life. (laughs) You don't, you just need to eat a really good balanced, varied diet and you're going to be just fine. But what if I want really expensive pee? then go ahead and march down the Costco aisle that has all the supplements and just grab one of everything. (laughs) Actually, you guys don't do that because that could be really dangerous (laughs) because things do interact with each other. Back to the dose makes the poison there. Yeah, let's not do that. (laughs) Okay, we're on to our final myth, you guys. We're almost there. What's our final? Hopefully you're still with us. (laughs) What's the final myth? The final myth is eating healthy is expensive. Ooh, I think we kind of already cleared this up a little bit with some of the other myths that we broke down because, yeah, if you feel like you always have to eat organic foods and if you feel like you need to be supplementing all the time and doing periodic juice cleanses, yeah, that gets really, really expensive. (laughs) But we know now that you don't necessarily need to do all that stuff, okay? There are ways that we can actually make healthy eating even cheaper. Just keep in mind that any time a food goes through some form of processing, it's going to cost money. It's going to cost the processor money, the packaging company money. And where does that cost go? To the consumer. It gets passed on to you, okay? Eating processed healthy food is absolutely expensive. If you go down the health food aisles at your supermarket and buy healthy chips, (laughs) or healthy macaroni and cheese, that version of that is probably more expensive than the non-healthy version. And I'm I'm using a lot of air quotes. I'm using a lot of air quotes here because I hope you all understand that chips, whether it's like organic chips or non-organic chips or whatever, they're still chips, you guys. And if you're paying $3 more for those chips, you're just fooling yourself, really, at the end of the day. Having someone else prepare your food for you and put it in a package, whether that's some sort of processed packaged food like chips or a convenience meal like a dinner meal, or even having someone else prepare the veggies for you, like cut up the broccoli and put them in a package where it's all these cut up stems of broccoli. Anytime you do that, they're going to pass the cost on to you. So the question then is really how valuable is your time and how valuable is your health? For me, I if I didn't have someone else put together a salad for me, I wouldn't eat one. <laughs> so my time is worth it for me to eat bagged salads. So I will spend a little bit of extra money on getting a bagged salad that someone else has taken the time to put those ingredients in one place If I were to pull all those ingredients out and split them up into their individual pieces, it would be way cheaper than what I'm paying for a bagged salad, right? But even when you're paying for a bagged salad, if you get a can of chicken and a bagged salad, you're less than five bucks and you can get two meals out of that. Right. So compare that to eating out or what a lot of processed foods cost you. At the end of the day, even with the little bit more expensive version, it's still not expensive. It really isn't. And usually what we pay for the most is when we eat out. So if you're constantly eating out, you need to check that and just say, okay, maybe we need to be honest about the amount of time that we're spent eating out and use that money towards buying just more unprocessed, good whole fruits and vegetables and and lean proteins. And then if you really struggle with paying for good, fresh, 
produce on a regular basis, like look for ways that you can buy slightly cheaper versions of things ahead of broccoli or ahead of cabbage. Like I said, if you buy just that raw form, it's really inexpensive. Even baby carrots, we will spend extra money to get a bag of baby carrots, but if you get the large, real, full carrots, that's a lot cheaper. They're dirt cheap. They're dirt cheap, okay? Also, another way that you can make healthy eating less expensive for you is to organize your meal plan so that you're not wasting food anymore. I bet a lot of your healthy food ends up in the garbage because it goes bad before you can eat it. So I recommend eating the softer, more vulnerable produce first, the stuff that you know is going to go bad first. So things like a pear or cucumber, tomatoes, things like that that you know, or the leafy greens, they're gonna go bad before a potato goes bad, before a pepper goes bad, or carrots, okay? So try to organize your week so that you're eating the harder stuff, the stuff that is going to stick around longer, towards the end of the week. And you'll probably find that you waste far less food. And the other thing you can do to save money in the produce aisle is to eat seasonally. Yes. Because you go in during the right season and grapes are $2 a pound. You go in the rest of the year and they're 4 or $5 a pound. And this will also not just save you money, but it'll give you variety. Right. And like we said, you need to be exposed to a good variety of nutrients over the course of the day, over the course of the week, and that's going to help your pocketbook too. All right, so to kind of sum up this myth that eating healthy is expensive, we know now that if you remove all of the expensive myths that we have probably been believing, suddenly eating healthy is not so expensive anymore. And there are great mechanisms that we can put in place to make it even easier. Just remember that anytime someone does the work for you and prepares something for you, you will be paying for that. So if you don't want to pay for that, just be willing to put out a little bit of extra work to make your own salad, to prepare your own food, and you'll probably save a ton of money in the end. So we tackled a lot of really big myths today. I'm sure we upset a few of you, but hopefully this was really eye-opening for most of you and you feel a sense of relief, perhaps with certain myths that you believed that you realize, oh, I don't have to be doing that anymore and that's okay and that's great. So at the end of the day, we just really want you to feel freedom to be healthy and to not have pressure or expectations put on you about what healthy might look like to feel like you can do this confidently. You can eat healthy confidently. And please reach out if you have questions about anything we talked about today. You can reach out to Strong Mamas on Facebook or on Instagram. Yep, and make sure to check the show notes too for some extra resources. And until next time, you guys, we'll talk to you later.